Ecclesiastes chapter 6, as we go, as we do expositorily, and we take a book of the Bible, and we go out through it one verse at a time, the Lord picks the text that way, He picks the topics. We're in Ecclesiastes, because we go over like New Testament, Old Testament, that's how I've been jumping back and forth. I thought, this one's old, there's not much commentary on it, and uh, now I think when I go to study it and I look for commentary, I'm like, man, this one does not have much commentary on it. And so I found myself kind of like, why did I pick this, and why is this so hard? And, and sometimes it is hard. And, and this morning, I, I thought on this text for a good long while, and I, uh, and I pray as, as I go over it, and I read what commentary I can find. I'm like, Lord, I just need a practical application. You know, I just need something that maybe I could bring this to uh, you know, our minds today, uh, help, help me to take the King James words and, and, and understand it and, and, and put it to where it is. And I think he gave me one that we can relate to. And so uh, Ecclesiastes 6, we'll read verse 1 through 6, will be our text this morning. It says, uh, um, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common unto men, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul, and that all he desireth, uh, and have for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth, eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that as an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in vanity, and he departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he shall not see the sun, nor known anything, that he hath more rest than the others. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice old, yet hath not seen good, do not all go to one place. So that was the text that I set out to uh, try to interpret, and in, in my sticking into it, I, I have a lot for us from the first half, and then we'll have the second half later, but... Um, First one, it says, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common to men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul, for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity and also an evil disease. <clears throat> Common observance. So, so Solomon, as I think about Solomon, one of the things I think about him is he's a people observer. He's a people watcher. It's kind of a fun hobby, right? You go someplace and you watch people. You know, so it's uh, one of the places you go and, and you see what people do and you see what they're doing. He was an observer. You know, if you remember early on, you know, he prayed for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. I want to help be able to rule over your people. And so he has special insights that you and I might not have. You know, God has gifted him to see things where we might not. People see things. Uh, I have a friend who's an artist. Yeah, we, we, some of you met, met them when they were here uh, last fall. And um, they, he puts a production video up. He's been doing this, like showing his process and how he works. And, and I was working on another one, uh, talking with one of my other artist friends about a logo that we were working on. And I thought, I came away with this from both of them. They look at things different than I do. I look at things different than you do. And you're like, yeah, you do. You're weird. Uh, but but, uh, but they look at things different. Because he was like showing, oh, I'm going to draw, draw this guy. I'm going to paint this guy. And he draws all out there and goes, oh, I just noticed that his eyebrow and his darkness and this and that. You can tell these worry lines. I'm like, I just saw a guy sitting there. You know, he sees all these details and how he puts the stress and puts the color down. And the other one, I was having him draw Bigfoot because it's me. And he was like, oh, I pictured him, you no, know, not having his fist clenched like this, you know, because I'd sent him a little sketch I did. He goes, I figured he wasn't angry unless provoked. I'm like, 
You thought way more about that than I did, and I drew that other one. It's like, you know, and so just the whole ideas and the mindset and the, you know, that that would determine how someone would stand and how they would look. They look differently. Solomon's like that. He's an observer. He's looking past the casual, and he's like, what is going on? What, what, what's moving? He's been given wisdom. He watches out windows. Proverbs, you see that. He talks about how he's there in his room, and he looks out through his casement, and he can watch in the streets as people move, and he can see people who do the same things all the time, and he can watch and be like, I know where they're doing, and I know where he's going, because he has this kind of elevated view where he can watch and see the events, and so he does that. Uh, he gets um, news reports, because he's the king, right? Information will come through him. He gets to be the hub of culture, all reports. He gets to see the black reports, the things that aren't publicly known, that the government is keeping on the down low. That he gets all those things. He gets the things that are majorly going on, and what's the economy, and what's going on. He gets all that inside information, what they decide to let known or not let known. He, he gets all that. He judges cases. And so he gets to hear both sides on stuff. And so he's a judge, and he gets to hear cases from all classes of people. You know, he's famous for the one about uh, the two women disputing over the baby, you know, so all that. It is suspected uh, by reading Ecclesiastes and by reading Proverbs and by reading the Song of Solomon and other things that he disguised himself as a commoner or different occupations and then went out and then embedded himself into society to be able to experience things and to see what was going on so he can learn what it was like for the common guy because he's not the common guy, he's the king. And so he wanted to go out and live among the people and see what it was that he didn't know from the, his, his vantage point. Uh, he was raised as King David's son. You know, uh, He was a prince. Uh, I would think the king has a, a cool manly sound to it. Yeah, to be the king. To, but to be a prince kind of makes me want to snicker a little bit. You know, oh, you're a prince. So it just makes me kind of, doesn't have that same kind of oomph, you know, to it as, as a king does. But he's, you know, I think of a pampered, spoiled boy, you know, who, who's not having to do much in, in that way when I think of a prince. And so he's not had the same life his dad had. You know? his, his dad lived in the field a lot of the time watching sheep, you know, spinning out like camping under with just like probably his cloak or something, a blanket to throw over him with a staff in his hand. And that was it, you know, and he had to fight off bears, he had to fight off a lion. He talked about that grabbing it by its beard and trying to take a lamb out of its mouth. Solomon's not done that. He fought a giant with a slingshot. You know, his dad, you know, did some stuff. You know, now he's the second generation and he is reaping in the benefit of everything that his dad has done. And he's not sleeping in the field. He's not fighting any bears. He's never seen any giants. You know, he, he lives in a house. He lives in a house with his mom. He's a mama's boy. You know, he, he lives there with her. He's raised in the city. You know, a city with walls, with a house around it, with a guard, with probably zero chores. He probably, his, his chore is probably, get me some water. You know, and then they run out and get him some water and bring him some food and do whatever else. And he, he just has that. He had, when he slept, he had a guard around his bed in that way. You know, no one was coming in. He had no dangers. He didn't have to worry about wolves or bears or giants. And so he, he, he wants for nothing. So yeah, he needs to get some insights by probably going into town disguised as someone else. And so Put himself in someone else's life and see what those experiences are you know, while he's in disguise. So I think he was in disguise some. In verse 1 he says, There's an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. He says that this is common. Um, it's something that you see all the time. And this is what he says, that he sees as common. Verse 2, A man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanted for nothing, and his soul has all that he desires. It's pretty common, isn't it? Not common with me. I don't know. It must have been common in his day to have somebody who has everything they ever wanted, who's given riches and given honor and given anything his heart's desire. 
It's not all that common, at least not with me, but not in these parts, maybe. Um, but I'm not Solomon, you know, and I don't get to see all that Solomon sees. Got, Solomon got all the reports. He sent out expeditions. You know, he, he had boats that went around the world, and they came back and reported things. He sat at the hub of information where he heard all the stories, and he, he inserted himself into society where he was curious about things. And so, you know, he did, did get to see stuff, and he was a judge, and, and his secret disguise, he sees all these things. And so he has some access to information that maybe I didn't have. So I was praying, Lord, I don't understand. You know, how is this common to men? It's not common to me. And I thought, I have an advantage that Solomon doesn't have. I have a TV and the Internet. I don't have to go searching out everywhere. I just have to flip through the channels. My wife accuses me of flipping through the channels all night. I finally follow the show I want, and I fall asleep by the time the opening credits are done. You know, and so that's usually it. And she's like, wake up. But they show you all kinds of stuff. And I was thinking, Lord, I need to, what, what, what could apply? And he brought to mind one of my favorite shows. I like a lot of shows, but one of my favorite shows is American Pickers. You ever seen that show? Yeah, yeah, Mike and Frank, you know, the travel the back roads of America looking for some rusty gold. Yeah, like you want to do that. Don't you want to roll up in somebody's house and say, can I go through your barn? And they'll probably say, no, please leave. I have a shotgun. You know, but these guys, they let them inside. They take them around. They show them all they got. You know, it's, it's a pretty fun show, you know, to, to watch them do it and to see all that stuff. And I see stuff that, you know, that they pass on that I'm like, why didn't you buy that Batmobile? And why didn't you buy it? Because I, I find them on the shelves there, and I, and I see them there. It's like, I would like that. But uh, these two verses, or this verse number two especially, are American pickers' bread and butter. It's the common theme to their show. It's just not common to me. But by watching that show, and I think seven or eight seasons, you know, with 12 episodes a season, it's a common theme throughout all that show. And it's a popular show. I can say, am I the only one who watches it? No, no, but yeah, a lot of people watch that show. It's there. You know what I'm talking about. So verse 2 is it. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity and is an evil disease. Uh, did you see the episode? <laughs> but it's most every episode. You might not see it just yet, but it's a variation thereof. Um, here's the episode. Mike and Frank are telling jokes and picking on each other in the van. Hey, you, know, where are you, the, you snored last night or whatever they're talking about. They're driving down the road, and they're like, hey, look at all the junk this guy's got. And they pull into the property, and this guy's like, oh, this is a good one. I count four or five barns. He's got four or five barns, and there's the house, and there's, boy, there's a car sitting outside. You know, they, they start scoping the area. This guy's got a place to put some stuff. You know, they, they start talking about it. And then when they get on the property and the guy lets them in, sure, I got some of that stuff. You know, they give him the flyer. Like, the barns are full. What are they full of? Exotic cars. You know, exotic cars and motorcycles. The holy grail of pickers is there. You got cars and gas pumps and signs and bikes and you know, the honey hole, they call it, and they get there. Just, and it's just bumper to bumper in there, stacked in there full. You're like, man, that's crazy. I mean, there's one right across the street. Uh, for some reason, I was with my version of Frank, uh, and it was uh, Carl, and for some reason we were visiting the neighbor, and he asked to go to this guy's barn, and he's got all kinds of like showroom quality cars and a gas pump and the signs, all the whole little town kind of set up in there. I'm like, I never would have thought that was in a barn across the street from the church, but it was there. But you go with Carl, you find out some stuff. You know, <laughs> so we're over there. But, uh, uh, you know, so they, they show, they kind of give a panorama and they're like, kind of like, you know, Mike and Frank are shell shocked looking at it all and they're showing all these cars. And then Mike goes to the guy and says, How'd you get all this stuff? You know, and then the guy who's wearing the same clothes for, you know, a month that he got at Goodwill says, like, Well, if I saw something I liked, I just bought it. 
I'm like, well, I see a lot of things I like. I just can't buy it. I pass on a $5 action figure that I want because I'm like, yeah, probably ought not this week. <laughs> but this guy buying cars, you know, and exotic cars and putting them in his barn just because he liked them. And he said, when that barn got full, I just built another one, you know, and I put some more cars there. A barn costs some money to build. It's like I remember building a little, um, uh, one of those little mini barns. It's like, man, it was, a, it was an investment, an investment in time to put it all up in there, let alone, I couldn't put a car in there. I could fit a mini, the old mini bike we had in there, but I couldn't fit cars in there. And these guys are building it big enough to put cars in. I'm like, at every show, right? I mean, I'm not the only one. This is about every show that they do this. And at this point, this is where I turn to Elaine and I'm like, What's that guy do for a living? It's like, well, what kind of job does he have that he can just go out and buy car after car after car after car and build barn after barn after barn on his palatial estate that he has, you know, who knows how many acres? You know, it's on there. It's like, how do they, how, what this guy do? They never say. <laughs> they never say what the guy does. The guy doesn't look like he has enough sense to do anything, and yet he can tell you everything about everything on that property. You know, and so that, but they build these barns, and, or they'll build the whole hometown in their backyard that they grew up, grew up in, and then you go down the street and you get to the general store, they'll go in the general store, they have the general store full of all the stuff that would have been in the general store when the kid was eight years old or something. It's like, how do you do this? And I've seen a town like that, you know, down by Ellettsville, that where a guy builds a whole town, puts it in his backyard, and, and, and every time, all this, you know, they're just fully stocked. How? I don't know how, but apparently it's common. Enough that you can have a TV show run for seven, uh, se- seven, uh, seven years with 12 different episodes of one that they can go out there and they find all this in that way. Not, not all of them are this big, but a lot of them. But sadly, that is kind of common. And sadly, so is the things that Solomon says in verse 2. He explains it for us. It's kind of hidden in the text there. But a, a man to whom God had given riches, wealth, and honor... So that he wanteth nothing that his soul of all that he desires. He has enough money and he has enough ability to go out and smart uh, to acquire that money. And that when he desires something, he's able to go out and buy what it is that he desires. Doesn't even think about it. Oh, I just picked it up and brought it home and paid for hauling and all this. It's like, why? I just always add it all up in my head. He desires nothing. It says, and yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity and this is an evil disease. Um, goes through it and he says a couple things about it. I'll start with the last one first. It's an evil disease. Uh, Solomon didn't have a term for it. We do uh, hoarding. I think is what a lot of it is. It's just hoarders, right? You get in there, it's like, and you can tell that Mike and Frank, they'll determine, like, this guy's a hoarder. You know, there's a collector and then there's a hoarder. A hoarder is a whole other show, <laughs> which sometimes you watch, but sometimes it's so gross I can't even watch it. You know, this is because, like, everything, and there's a path through the house in that way. It's, a, it's different than collecting. Collecting, you know, uh, you, you, you have it, they like it, they organize it, it's putting it away. You know, hoarders just keep everything, and they pile it up, and they can't get rid of nothing. Yes, I said that for me. I have a collection. I'm not a hoarder. My wife would argue. Maybe I'm a hoarder. I'm not necessarily a collector, but because when I keep the Batman figure in the box that came in the Batman figure, she says, that's hoarding. I've gone too far by keeping the box. But that's a, but yeah, I have a collection. You know, but there's a collection in hoarder. The hoarders don't get rid of anything. And, 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 and these guys, they kind of illustrate it like this, you know, in American Pickers. Uh, Mike and Frank, they'll dig to the bottom of some horrible stack that they're like, I'm like, how are you not getting tetanus? Uh, what about that raccoon? You know, they talk about all the poo that's on it and everything else. And they dig down in there and they finally move this mountain. By the time it gets done, it's always kind of, you can tell the progress of the show by how sweaty Frank is by the time of the end. His shirt's soaking, you know, and all this other stuff. And they finally pull this rusty bike out. You know, this guy hasn't seen since who knows when, you know, and he's sitting there on his four-wheeler, you know, not really doing nothing, looking at it. And, and he knows everything about it. He knows 
knows the year. He knows the make. He knows the model. He knows where and when he was when he bought it. He knows everything about this thing that he's not seen for years. It's piled under there, and I always have to think, the guy's smart. You know, he knows what he's talking about. He knows his stuff, you know, but, he, but he's, he's hoarded it all. But he can't part with it, right? There'll be like $7,000, a pile of junk underneath here. It's a motorcycle. doesn't run. Missing the headlights. It's frozen up. The engine's solid. $8,000. The guy's like, nope, I might need that one of these days. He's like, you haven't needed it. You built a mountain on top of it. You can't part with it. That's a hoarder. You know, it's like, I can't, even with money coming, I'm also thinking, well, the guy must have money in the bank. If he's not needing $8,000 to part for a piece of junk that he hasn't seen in 20 years, it's like, he does have a disease there. Probably he can't get rid of it. And uh, it shows up, the disease is really revealed at the end of their life, but it's been there the whole time. That they pursued things that they had satisfaction in things, that, they, that there's something wrong, that they would put all their uh, affection into objects and not necessarily their families or their people. My wife says the show that should come on right after American Pickers is the wives of these guys that they pick. You know, <laughs> like, who, how they put up with these? Sometimes it is the wife, and then sometimes if it's the couple together, they're usually sweet and they enjoy a hobby together. That's, what, that's a collection. That's not a hoarder. But if it's just this one guy, he's either single or who knows what happened to his wife. You know, maybe she's under the pile someplace. But I don't know. But, he's, uh, um, but you're thinking, for these guys to amass all this and to know all that and to mechanically they, they talk about it and things that they worked on or I'm going to fix it, but they're smart, but they're hard workers, I assume, you know, because they're able to get all that and drag it all there. And they amassed a fortune. You know, they got good eyes, as Mike and Frank. You got a good eye. You know, this stuff's worth something. This is what people want today. You really collected the right things, you know, when you went to the junkyard and pulled it out and all this stuff. But it's sad, a lot of it. And a lot of the picker episodes kind of go that way. Like they died and the kids are like, Dad died, left all this to me. I don't care, take it. You can always tell when it's the kid there. Uh, yeah, whatever. You're going to offer that? Sure, I don't have to haul it off. And they're selling it off. They're like, Dad left this. I had to deal with it. It was his passion. None of us liked it. So I always picture that of it's a lot of weekends, it's a lot of weeknights, it's a lot of times a dad being out in the barn, not with his family, or dad being gone buying something, or dad having this out there and not spending time with his kids. That's why the rest of the verse, we won't have much time to get to, talks about he's sad and he's alone and no one comes to mourn him. You know, because they're like, we're having to deal with all this stuff. And sometimes you can just tell they're just angry about it. Every once in a while you have one that's a kid that's with them and they won't sell anything because they're just as bad as their dad. You know, because they had times together with it. You know, it's harder for them to point. That's different. You know, that's, a, that's a passion together. But they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And so they call the pickers or they have an auction or there's an estate sale and there's a salvage company that comes and they get rid of everything and they carry it off piece by piece. And the kids take the money, and they don't ever think anything about it. There's some of them that really are sad. Like this one I think we were watching, I forget, it was some, some person. I can't even remember what they did now. But they'd had some life accomplishment. Like, oh, they were the first, and they did this. I think it was this little, it was a girl. That's what it was. And she, her dad had built her this little mini Indian chief motorcycle. And she rode around, and she made a, a lot of things for being the earliest kid, riding a motorcycle, all this stuff. And her kids, the kids didn't want any of it. They weren't interested in any of these. This picture's cute little girl, and she was little, and doing all these things, and riding all these different things, and doing other. No interest in it. And I'm like, how sad that, that the kids were so detached from them. It's like, how much passion did they pour on that and not on them that the kids don't want anything to do with it? They, they, they don't have any, that doesn't even give them a good feeling of like, that's who dad was and that's what dad did. They carry it off piece by piece. And Solomon puts it this way, a stranger eats it. Mike and Frank come and take it away. I'll make sure it goes to somebody who appreciates it. You know, or the scrapyard guy comes in and says, oh, it's all metal or it's all aluminum and I'll just pull it in a pile and we'll haul it off in that way. So this 
thing that this guy loves so much that Maston built these barns is just stuff that they haul away a little at a time. He doesn't get to enjoy it. He's let it rust because he's got so much in a new project, new project, that he doesn't take time to even appreciate what he has there. He's got five barns worth of cars. I can't keep two cars running. You know, and this guy's got five barns worth out there putting the time and money and effort into you. It's just become a burden. They never enjoy it. The family doesn't enjoy it. They hate it, and it becomes a burden. And God gives these people, he starts out with verse 2 saying, gives these people wealth. He gives them talents. He gives them their desire, and they wasted it on stuff. I think there's the lesson. You know? do, we, do we spend all our time on stuff? They love their pursuit. Oh, I love hunting it. I love a good swap meet. I love a good sale. I love a good auction. We're going to go there. I want to outbid that guy. And there's people, you know, that's why you have an auction, because you get the auction fever, you know, and you got to run it up. The next thing you know, something you could have bought at Walmart for $5, you paid $25 for, but you beat so-and-so over there. You know, it's like, that's what they kind of count on. That's what they feed on. They love the pursuit more than their family. Or they love their pursuit more than a family. And they're a hermit who live by themselves. Or they're somebody who stayed single their whole life because they were after things and after stuff. And they never took time to invest in anybody else because they were pursuing all these things. And they never marry. And they leave it all to someone else that gets carried away. And they never get to eat of it. Their kids don't get the benefit of it because they don't have them or the kids don't want anything to do with it. And it gets dispersed across the country. They can't take it with them. None of them. As I was thinking about this verse, I thought of another way outside of American Pickers that, that, that kind of applied. That was something that my dad told me early on when he was still working uh, 75 years ago. Uh, I, I don't remember. My kids don't remember dad working. He, he took an early retirement. Dad did it right. But here's the thing that made me nervous about that because I remember dad telling me this when he was working. He's, they had like a little, Eli had a little newsletter that they sent out or they had a bulletin board. And he said one of the things that he always looked at, and I remember him talking about it at home, was that, oh, so-and-so retired two weeks later, dead. So-and-so retired a month later, dead. It's like they worked their whole life and saved up for retirement. Finally, we bought the RV. We're going to go. Heart attack. Boom. Gets to enjoy a two-week vacation. And then they die. It's like he's just like, that's sad. I don't want to work my whole life and then retire and then just die two weeks later. And I'm like, you're retiring at 37. You know, I don't know how old he was when he retired. But it's like, you're going to have all this time. What if he dies early? He hasn't. Dad's, dad got one over on Eli Lilly. Uh, he enjoys retirement, lived a long time. But it was just like, uh, man, this seems like you work all that time, and then finally they don't know how to key down. Or they, they, they rest too hard or something. But someone else then gets everything that they worked hard for. You know, their wives or their kids, and it's like they worked all that time, and then they get nothing. You know, they get it. Someone else gets it. They don't get to enjoy it. It's like, oh, finally my retirement. That's why we're not to work for retirement. Not on this earth. We're to work for our eternal rest in that way, right? We're not to work for, well, everything's into what I'm going to do the last few years of my life when I'm tired, old, and worn out. It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's, it's going to be hard. It's like, I, we should retire first. You know, retire when you're 20 and live that life for a few years, then put it all in, but it doesn't work that way. But Solomon's looking under the sun. That's what happened if we go all the way back to the premise. He's looking for not eternity in mind. He's just looking for what is life here and now on the earth. If life is all there is, and all you have is that you work hard for something, and then someone else gets to enjoy it, he comes to the conclusion, that's sad. That, that's just sad. You know, these guys, he goes, I see it, and it's common. I see the old sad guy with his barn full of stuff, and the kids don't like it, and he's all by himself. That's just sad. 
Or if you consumed with the pursuit and you never get to enjoy it because it's like you always need that, that, and that next thing. You buy it, you got it, you won. You're like, what else is there? You never take time to enjoy what it was that you've amassed already. That's sad, Solomon says. Or you love your stuff and your stuff is just stuff and not people. He says, that's sad. That's vain. That's empty is the words that he used. Matter of fact, Solomon says in verse 1 that it's an evil there is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It's an evil. And I think here by evil, he actually means cruel. Life is cruel. It has an evil twist that someone would work hard, amass all these things, get to the end of their life, die. They don't have it. They don't get to enjoy it. They, don't get to do it. they worked hard for, I bought all this property. I got all this house. I have all these cars. I have all these things. What do I have? Eternity with that? No, you die. And that, all that stays here and someone else gets it. Someone else has to sell it, or it pays for your, you, know, you to go into the nursing home, or it pays in that. It's like, what good is it to have the big fat bank account if it all goes to someone else? He says, you work hard and someone else gets it. It's like a devil trick at the end, kind of like, oh, you're going to sell your soul for a million dollars so you can see the world? Great, you'll be blind next week. You know, that's kind of like, oh, now I've got a million dollars and now you can't see the world because you're blind. One of those little tricks in that way. It's kind of like that. You work your whole life and then you don't get to enjoy it. Fortunately, we have a fuller story. We live in a day and age where we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. That Solomon's exploits into looking into things under the sun and him showing that it's futile and that if you just live for this world, it is empty and you will be sad and you will find that it's sad and you'll find that it's empty. We have answers to. And I am finding that the questions that Solomon looked into, Jesus Christ addresses and answers. In Matthew 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus addresses Ecclesiastes in the spirit of it all. You know, maybe not like line for line or verse or verse, but he, he says that, Solomon says that life is evil and life is hard and that life is vain and life is cruel. It's joyless. And Jesus' answer is, you aren't made for life on this earth in a fallen world. We're not made for a world that has war. We aren't made for a world that has theft. We're not made for a world that has death and decay and, and where rot is and where things get ate away and things get corrupt. We're not made for a world like that. All those things that Solomon looked into, all those things that we can see where we can say, that's cruel, or that's wrong, that you retire and then you die, or that you're on vacation and that this happens, and that the week of your life something sad comes upon it. I mean, we can all sit here and list all day of cruelties and strange and evil twists that seems like it come into life that just seem like life's not fair. Things that should make us angry. Things that should make us ask, why? Why does that happen? Why does that happen? Why do, why do these things happen to people? I think that's okay. Why? Because that'll make you search. If you're asking the question why, if you're asking and saying these things aren't right, if you're saying this doesn't seem like it satisfies or that doesn't fulfill, that's putting you on a path that he wants you on. And we, if you went all the way back to earlier in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> there's one whole week where we talked about why is life so hard? To show you that this is not what you made, you're made for. Solomon's just reiterating that. We are made for more than this life. Is to put you on the path to say, is there answers? Is there more? Is there a place where we live forever? Is there a place where I can enjoy? Is there a place where I can rest? Is there a place where I can be at peace? Is there a place where I can have my family and not have them ripped out of my hands? Is there a place where I can have my health forever? Is there a place for that? Because if you desire that, God says, I have an answer. God puts desires within us. and He makes life a little bit difficult, sometimes a lot difficult, so that we'll understand this life is not it. So that we won't have our roots and our tent pegs dug in too deep. 
so we won't build on this shifting sand, that we'll look for the rock that we can build our house upon and we can find answers because we are made to live a life that don't, doesn't end. We are made to enjoy God's creation forever with family and with friends and with God forever where the joy is unspeakable and full of glory that we talk about. And it takes, and if it takes the idea of losing all of your stuff that you worked for to frustrate you and for you to say, why bother? And to see the world is not the goal and that it's not satisfying and to make you yearn for more than God says, that's why it's there. It's a speed bump to make you consider, well, how fast am I going and where am I going? That we need to slow down and consider what is ahead. He has a time for us to reflect on things and consider, what's my point in life? Where am I going? What am I spending my time and my focus on? Is it on stuff? Should it be on eternity? Should it be on people? We find answers in Jesus. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not being rich. It's the ones who find out that all this doesn't matter. It's like, Lord, I need satisfaction. I need something more. I have nothing. He says, and I can offer you nothing. Is where he actually takes it to, to where it's like he realizes I have everything. You realize that he has everything and he offers us everything. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sadness comes, maybe, so that you can have comfort. So you can find that comfort in Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 6, verse 19, he addresses this specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. What Solomon's talk about it. Matthew 6, 19, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. I remember one episode, American Pickers, the guy's like, Oh, you like those kind of grills? I got a loft full of them. Mike and Frank call up there, and they're like, It's empty. He's like, Somebody stole them. Like, oh, you know, it's rusted away. There's nothing left. You know, it's all done. Here, Jesus talked about all that. You buy all this stuff. We build all this stuff. It breaks. It wears out. It goes on. Unless it was something built in the 50s. I was looking for a drill yesterday. I went through uh, different ones I had. I had three different ones. Or a broken bit in this one. That one shoots sparks out. going to catch your arm on fire. And this one over here. I finally went to one that my father-in-law gave me because early on my drill was a screwdriver in his hand. Or I, had a, or I had a drill bit and I'd make a little hole in it. My father-in-law was like, uh, here, you can have this one. It, was, uh, it weighed about 20 tons. And it had a car engine inside it. But it still worked. And I'm like, Levi was like, why don't they make them like this anymore? Because they still work. And you won't buy a new one. <laughs> so, but you know, but it, it, you know, most things wear out, break down, short out, do something. It's like, don't build for things in this world. Verse 20, but they lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Here's the key to answer. Uh, that Not this life, not under the sun, to consider eternity. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where neither thieves break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're to work for eternity, not for salvation. Jesus Christ gives us salvation. But to do things that matter in the long range, in the long game of things, not just for here on this earth. He doesn't want you to go through life saying, well, I never had anything good. I never enjoyed anything. No, Solomon will talk about enjoy life. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy what you have. Don't just be pursuing the next big thing. Enjoy life. Take time and enjoy it. Enjoy your day and enjoy your time. And don't just rush it all away because, you know, kids grow up fast. You know, time goes away fast and your health goes fast. You know, enjoy. Take time and enjoy. Take a weekend. Take, it gives us a Saturday to have a day off in that way. Instead of cars and barns, he wants us to put our pursuits in people. Pursue people with the gospel. 
Tell them that they can have salvation, that they can live forever. If they would but repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ, the futility and the things that aggravate you in life would have an answer. You'll have a rest, you'll have a calm, knowing that it's not just this life. We have eternity that we can spend together with Him, that Jesus died for their sins, that they would save them, who they are, where they are, no matter what they are, no matter what they've done. Salvation is a free gift that comes from Jesus Christ. He has paid the price. He has paid it all, and He gives it to you freely if you but repent and ask Him. Take some humbleness in there. It takes that blessed of the poor spirit. God, I have nothing. I offer you nothing. Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll save you. We're just to call upon him. If we put our time and our effort into rescuing people, if we put people in heaven, and then they would bring their families, I bet you they'd be saying thank you forever. Right? When you witness to someone and they get saved, you're introducing them to Christ every time you see them and you see how wonderful heaven is, that you wouldn't go to the person that led you to the Lord and say, thank you. And go to that, that church or that track or that video, whatever it was you watch, and find that person down and say, thank you for showing that to me. Thank you for coming to my house. Thank you for speaking to me at the gas pump. Thank you for this. We get to spend eternity here. My family gets to spend eternity here because they all got saved because of what you told us, that you corrected our course and then we saw what was right and we saw what mattered. Thank you forever. There's a reward right? There is a treasure, people, smiling faces in heaven. Smiles are the wardrobe of heaven, right? It's not like a sad place where we're going to be. They're all going to be happy, and we're here, and we're living, and we're wearing their smiles. We're like, what a great and joyous place to be We are here. It's better than a barn full of rust and raccoons, and what raccoons do. Uh, it's better than that. It's a, it's a good investment. It's a great investment. It's an investment that pays dividends forever. It's a treasure in heaven. Christ gave us all to win whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, to win them there. Cost you nothing. He asked nothing but everything of you. you know, we give him our life because he's our Lord and Savior. But it's good. And it's meant to be forever. It's what satisfies. When I think of the disappointments in life, I think about what's satisfied in heaven. My family would be with heaven. I wish I had more time. My kids grew up and moved out of the house. We miss them sometimes. <laughs> but, but it's like, I like it when we have our visits together. It's like, oh, that was great to visit with them. And I'd like to have time when we have weeks together. We go down family reunions together and send out with big family together. together. It's like, oh, this is fun, man. This is, you know, too bad it's just a day. You know, can you imagine eternity where we have time to, to fellowship and we're not rushing off? I don't what's life without a clock. I, I don't, I don't to have that forever to be with friends and family that you love around the Lord that we love that we can sing and praise Him with the talents that He's given us. All these things that he said he gave that man and he pursued stuff. If we used that instead of pursuing our hobbies, if we pursued people with the gospel, I think we'd be happier. I think we would have the life that we know that we were meant to live, serving our king for others. I know heaven's going to be sweeter because we have those lost ones there. Uh, we went last week, and thank you for letting me rush out here a little bit last week, and we went to the 55th anniversary of Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle. Uh, we attended there for a short while, and we put our kids through school there. And uh, this is a good time to see some, uh, uh, they had an afternoon service to see friends and, and, uh, uh, and people that still uh, mean a lot to us that, that, that are there, and just to celebrate a ministry that's continued on, you know. And so uh, uh, he asked me to speak, I cried, you know, yeah, just <laughs> But, uh, but uh, I was sitting in the back. I didn't. I was on the back row. I got to sit in the 
Bryant row, and then I, I got to I got to speak out. <laughs> but, you know, but no, we got to got to speak, and, and then to say a little something, maybe get all to say a little something. But but pastor there told an illustration. I think it fits perfect with this. And I can remember as he was telling it. I remember singing in the choir there. Yeah, I did. And I was singing in the choir there, and that we got we sang this song. Have I done my all or something like that? And it had the story of this man on the front, and he told part of that story. And it was about this boat that 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 crashed up in Lake Michigan, and as the boat was sinking. This Olympic swimmer uh, lived up there. This guy was training for the Olympics. And it was a cold water. Lake Michigan, I think, is always cold. But it was cold water. And these people were drowning just off the coast. And this guy, with the talents that he was given to be able to swim, swam back and forth and pulled out 17 people. He was able to make that trip. And it was in arduous waters during a storm. Pulled back and rescued 17 people before he was so exhausted that he could do no more. You know how many people survived that accident? 17 people, and they said his whole life, which it cost him, he didn't go and compete in the Olympics, uh, it cost him his health because he had pushed himself so hard in that, in that cold water that had stressed his body so much that he was in the hospital a lot of the times. I remember reading the accounts that the pastor didn't go into, just that it cost him his physical, uh, physically, it cost him everything he'd been training for. But the question that haunted him, that his brother said that he asked him up until his very death was, did I do enough? Did I really give my all? Could I have gotten one more? Do you think I should have went back? Could I have gotten maybe one more? Maybe I would have got two in that trip. And that's when the hymn was written you know, about that, about have we done our all? Have we done our all to reach the lost? Have we done our all to bring them in? Have we done our all to go back? Or are we so sidetracked with, oh, I need to rest for a minute? To focus on others, or are we just focusing on ourselves? And so it's a good time for us to inspect ourselves and say, what am I working for? You know, what am I doing? Am I doing, is, are my hobbies more than people? Uh, maybe we need to get realign that. Maybe, you know, are we ourselves going? If you don't know Christ as Savior, make sure that you're secure and safe in Him, knowing that you have eternity. We have a time for invitation here. We have time to reflect and think on these things and search your heart. And if you need to come forward and talk about it, we'll be here for that. So